if you're giving, uh, and let's pray. Well, I, I thought that was just such a great example of the power of our giving and our generosity. So, Father, we thank you today for each and every person as we think about our giving. I pray for that which is given, Lord, that you would multiply it. We thank you that everything we have comes from you and we're giving back to you our donations, our tithes, and our offerings. And I pray that you would bless each and every one. Multiply what is given. And Lord, may we continue to be a blessing to our world as a house and a church of hope and faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, thank you uh, to all of our team, the musicians, and all the kids now. Time for the kids to go to the kids' uh, ministry. Um, I want to continue with this series on giving and uh, on, on worry-free finances, rather. Um, and last week, I started the first part of it, uh, which was how we can know peace in, our, in, in the area of our finances. Um, if you've ever worried about money, uh, you're not alone. And we've all worried about money at some time or another. Uh, the statisticians tell us and the American Psychological Association says that 75% of Americans are worried about money all the time. And so worry is a real real issue. People are loaded with anxiety and worry about money. And ever since Adam and Eve tried to do things their own way, rather than God's way, worry and fear of lack has been a part of the human dilemma. And if we're all honest about it, we all have worried about lack. We've all worried about not having enough it is something that we have had to deal with because if you go way back to the very beginning, Adam and Eve set us on a course or a path that took us away from the path that God intended for us to take when it comes to our relationship with him, with the resource that we're all given, as J. John would say, the donuts that we're given every week. And so Jesus addressed this problem because he knew that it was at the forefront of people's thinking. Last week, we read the passage in, uh, from the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talked about don't worry about your life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you more valuable to him than they are, can all your worries add a single moment to your life. So Jesus told us he was aware of the fact that worry would be a real part of our experience. And he told us not only not to worry, he told us how not to worry. And at the end of that passage of scripture, he says this, that uh, brings uh, it to conclusion with this by saying, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So there is a way, there's a road map for each and every one of us so that we can know God's presence and God's provision in our life. 
in this three-part series. Last week, I talked about peace. This week, I want to talk about provision. Next week, I want to talk about how we can have purpose with our finances. And, and Jesus uh, enabled us to, to know how to... He teaches us how we can know peace, how we can experience supernatural provision, and how we can have purpose. Um, I'm, I mentioned last week, maybe you're thinking, well, why are we talking about money in church? Well, the reality is that money is such a, an important part of our lives, how we handle it, how we manage it, uh, whether we have money or money has us, uh, whether our focus is on God whether our fo- or whether our focus is solely on money. One of the interesting things is that if you read the Gospels, you find that Jesus talked about money twice as much as he did about heaven or hell. Does that mean that heaven or hell are not real or important? No, but Jesus knew that money is such a major issue that it has the ability to, to so uh, take a hold of us that our focus becomes totally uh, focused on money rather than on our first love, which is God. And that's why Timothy, which should be God, which is why Paul writes to Timothy, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. He's not saying that money is the root of all evil, but the love of money. That is when, love, when our focus is so uh, entirely absorbed by that financial need in our life or the pursuit of money that it takes our focus off what God would desire, that he is our first love. So um, Jesus teaches us how we can have knowledge, understanding, and wisdom in all of these areas. So today I'm talking about provision. The word provision is an interesting word because it comes from... uh, Two words, basically, pro, which in Latin means for, and then followed by vision. So provision is literally what we need for our vision to be fulfilled. If you have a vision for your life, you're going to need provision. If you have a vision for your kids to go to college. Uh, when we came from Australia, our kids were already in there, were already 12. We didn't know anything about you know, having a savings account for college. We were behind the eight ball there. We had to play catch up. And, uh, you know, maybe you have a vision that your kids will go to college, that they'll get a degree and then a master's or a doctorate or whatever. You need provision for that. You have a vision to go on a vacation. You need to have provision. You need to save for it. You have a vision for your business. You have to have provision to be able to Uh, launch the business and then continue to grow the business. So provision is literally so that the vision that God puts in our heart can be fulfilled. And God doesn't leave us to our own devices. How many are glad that that's the case? God is not only our, God is our father. He is our provider. And in fact, one of the names of God in the Old Testament is Jehovah Jireh, which literally means God, our provider. So we need to know that God is our provider. We need to understand that God is our provider. And we have to have wisdom to know how we can 
partner with God so that we can receive the provision he wants to give us. Because here's the thing. God is not, does not only want to be our father, he wants to be our partner. So he wants us to partner with him and he wants to give us a roadmap of how we can receive his supernatural provision. There's a great story uh, in the Gospels, and I love this. And in Mark's Gospel, or Luke's Gospel rather, the story of how Jesus is walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and there's a crowd, and Jesus wants to speak to the crowd, and so he sees a boat there, and there's some fishermen nearby that are mending their nets, and Peter is amongst those fishermen. He was at that time called Simon. And, and Jesus says to him, can I get in your boat? So Peter's pretty smart, and, he's, and he allows Jesus, turns out to be smart, he allows Jesus to get into his boat. Jesus pushes off from the shore a little, and he begins to speak to the crowds. And then after he um, has finished speaking, he turns to Peter. And he says, Peter, launch out into the deep for a catch. And Peter looks at him and he says, we've, Master, we fished all night and we didn't catch anything. And Jesus says to him, um, push out into the water and, and let your nets down. Um, and, and, but Peter says, even though we've fished all night, even though we've caught nothing, nevertheless, at your word. And so Peter listens to what Jesus says. He pushes out from the shore and he brings in a miraculous catch. So big that he can't bring it in himself. And he has to call his partners uh, to come and help him bring in the catch. And Jesus, he falls down at Jesus' knees and Jesus says to him, Peter, from, don't be afraid. From now on, You'll not only be fish, you, I will make you a fisher of men. And so that was the call of Peter. The beginning of his walk with Jesus began with a supernatural miracle of provision. And there's some important principles here that I want to highlight that are important for each and every one of us. The first of these is that Jesus wanted to partner with Peter. In order that he could, in order that Peter could experience and receive supernatural provision. Did you know that God wants to partner with you? And it requires us allowing Jesus to get into our boat. So the first thing is we need to know. We need to understand and we need to have the wisdom to be able to apply that to our lives. Jesus wants to get into our boat. The second thing that we, we need to understand about this story, and all of these have to do with partnership, Peter's partnership or Jesus' partnership with Peter, is Peter listened to Jesus despite his own natural reasoning or opinion. Peter was a fisherman. He was an experienced, successful fisherman. Jesus was a carpenter. And he could have looked at Jesus and said, Are you serious? 
We've been fishing all night. We've caught nothing. First of all, at this time of year, you don't catch any fish during the day. You catch them at night. There are no fish out there. And so his experience and his opinion could have overridden what Jesus told him to do. But rather than allowing his reasoning, his logic, his opinion to get in the way, he listened to Jesus and he did what Jesus had asked him to do. And one of the most important things for us to understand is if we want God's supernatural provision, then we need to listen to what Jesus says in his word and what the word of God says to us about how to apply knowledge, understanding, and wisdom to our lives when it comes to our finances. The third thing is that when Peter allowed Jesus to be the senior partner in the partnership, he experienced miraculous decision uh, provision. Peter allowed Jesus to be the senior partner in the partnership. There was an old song back in the day about, and it's probably still still sung somewhere about, uh, you know, uh, uh, about Jesus, uh, Jesus in the uh, Jesus in the front seat, or is Jesus is Jesus driving the vehicle with us in the back seat, or are we driving the vehicle with Jesus in the back seat? We want to be allowing Jesus to drive the vehicle, to be the senior partner. And once, they, once Peter did what Jesus asked him to do, there was, he, he received supernatural provision. When we allow Jesus to get into our boat, when we listen to what Jesus says in his word about what we should do with our finances... And when we allow Jesus to be the senior partner in, in, in our lives and in the partnership of our, uh, that, we, that we would have with him when it comes to our finances, we receive supernatural provision. We allow God's super to get into our natural and we receive supernatural provision. And here's the interesting thing. Hard work. They worked all night and caught nothing. So hard work plus doing what Jesus says equals miraculous decision. So if we're working hard, if we're applying ourselves to what God has given us to do, if we're putting God's word into our practice in our lives, then we can expect and believe and experience supernatural provision. Does that make sense? Supernatural provision for our lives requires us to be doing things God's way, not our ways. It's interesting if you go back to the very beginning to Adam and Eve when they were in the garden and they had no lack, they had everything they needed. After Adam and Eve deviated from obedience to God and trust in God, God said, and this is the Jonathan Wilson paraphrase version, God said to this, God told Adam, because you have rejected partnership with me, you will now till the ground, not by the dew of heaven, but by the sweat of your brow. Prior to that, a dew settled on the ground every morning. They had everything that they needed. Adam and Eve deviated from God's path, and God said, from now on, you're going to till the ground by the sweat of your brow. 
God tells us in his word that if we will follow his path, if we will be directed by his word, then we can experience the dew of heaven, that supernatural provision for our lives. So supernatural provision requires us doing things God's way, not our way. And Jesus is our Lord and he wants to partner with us. And if we do our part, he promises that he will do his part. One of the most important things that we need to understand is that God is a covenant-making God. He's a covenant-making, he's a covenant-keeping, he's a covenant-enabling God. What is a covenant? It's not something that we're that familiar with unless you're an attorney or a lawyer. But a covenant is a binding agreement, basically, between two parties. And so the New Test, the Old Testament is the Old Covenant. The New Testament is the New Covenant, uh, ratified by the blood of Jesus. And so God is a covenant-making God. And God promised the people, basically, a covenant. If you look at the covenants in the Bible, most of the covenants are Uh, say, if you will, God says to us, if you will do this, then I will do this. I think it's important that we understand grace. And we understand that we receive everything we have because of the grace of God. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. It's the free gift of God. Salvation is the free gift of God through the work of Jesus Christ. But as citizens of God's kingdom, if we want to receive the promises and the supernatural provision that's available for us, then we need to live by the principles of God's kingdom. And so we need to apply those principles of, to our life. And if you read Deuteronomy 28, and I don't have time to read that thing, but God says, begins this in 28 and verse 1, If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commandments I give you today, then the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations. You'll be blessed in the city, blessed in the country. Your basket will be full. I'll send blessings on your barns. I'll open the windows of heaven. Uh, You will know the blessing of supernatural provision if you follow my roadmap. And so in the New Testament, we could easily say, well, 2 Corinthians says, for all the promises of God in him are yes and amen. So basically, I can just claim any of the promises of God because those promises are available to me because of what Jesus did. No, that verse says, for the promises of God in him, in Jesus when we're walking in relationship with him, are yes and amen. So the, what the word of God makes very clear, God wants to enter into a covenant relationship. He wants to be in a partnership with us. He's our heavenly father, but he wants to be in partnership with us. And so as we look into God's word, we need to understand, we need to know the principles of God's word. We need to understand them and then know how to have the wisdom to apply them to our lives. So what does God's word say 
about our finances. I want to talk today about the first principle when it comes to our finances. Jesus said, if you want to build a house, you've got to build it on the right foundation. And he likens his word, the Sermon on the Mount, at the end of it, he says that these words, I love this in the message version of the Bible, these words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life. If you work these, um, they are foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you're like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock, rain poured down and the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. So if we're going to build a house, we need to build it on the right foundation. If we want to build our finances and experience the worry-free finances that Jesus talks about, we need to build on the right foundation. Why can we know peace and freedom from worry? Because we know that if we follow God's roadmap, he's going to provide for us. He promises to provide for us. Therefore, we can put our trust in God. So here's the first principle. And it's important that if we are citizens of God's kingdom, that we live by principle, not personal preference. When I get into trouble or when you get into trouble is when we are making decisions based on our personal preference or our personal our personal opinion rather than the principles of God's word. So I can't expect to experience worry-free finances if I'm doing things my own way. First of all, I'm not an accountant. My brain, isn't num my brain doesn't work that way. Uh, I, and, and I know I need God's help. And the foundation of that is that I'm putting I am living by God's principle. And here's the first principle. And J. John touched on this and he did it so well and so humorously. First of all is everything I have belongs to God and came from God. That's the first principle. When we understand that, we're at first base. When we think everything we have is ours, we're in big trouble. Because I have news for you, the day's going to come one day when we go out into eternity and all the things that we've collected and all the things that we've amassed and all the toys that we have and all the stuff that is a part of our life, we're going to have to leave it behind. Everything we have, we are actually stewards of. What does a steward mean? I'm a custodian of these things. And so the first thing we have to understand is everything comes from God. Everything we have comes from God. He is our source. Psalm 24 and verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So first of all, first thing, if I want to experience worry-free finances, I need to know that everything I have comes from God. David, interestingly, when he was making his offering for the temple that his son Solomon built, he prayed a prayer at the end of the book of Chronicles. It's a great prayer because he says, Lord, I know that everything I have comes from you. 
And what I am giving to you came from you in the first place. I'm simply giving it back to you. And so David highlights his understanding. The first principle is that everything comes from God. It's a bit like when my kids were growing up and one of them is still growing up and they would come to me or they'd come to die, probably die, but came basically from both of us. They would come to us and ask for some money to buy me a Father's Day gift. So basically, they were... They were buying me a gift that I paid for and the funds from which came from me. That is exactly the same when we give back to God the one donut out of the ten. We're giving back to God what's his in the first place. And so we are giving back to God what he's given to us because everything comes from God. That's why we as a family, we've always, our our house We've always said, we've named our house Kingdom House. Why? Because it's really God's house. He's entrusted it to us. And we've always done, both in Australia and here over the last 16 years, we've always done everything we have to live with an open house. It's Kingdom House. We don't live in a castle with a moat around it and a drawbridge that when I go home on Sunday, I pull the drawbridge up and try and keep everyone out. No. We live, with, we live with an understanding that our house is kingdom house. And we want to do everything we can to include others and, in, and, and make it a house where people feel blessed and feel a sense of God's presence. The car that we have, it's a, a kingdom car. I, I don't know whether I, I saw little Polly here a minute ago, but little Polly used to take our Suburban and she'd drive around and pick up all the kids for youth. It was kingdom car. It's a car that we, everything we have belongs to God. And so that's the first principle. So we need to understand we're stewards of everything that we have. It's not ours to hold on to. And the, the second thing about the first principle is this. And here's, I think, one of the most important things that we need to understand. When we give the first that belongs to God, he blesses the rest. I'm going to repeat that. When we give to God the first of everything we have, he blesses the rest. J. John, in his story about the the donuts, explained that, that when we give the first of the ten donuts to God, he blesses the other nine. And the other nine donuts go further than the ten if we'd held back on that first donut. And it's a spiritual principle that we find in the Word of God that Paul talks about in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 11 and verse 16, this is what he says. And it's very applicable because he's talking about dough. And we've been talking about donuts. Don't know if they had donuts back in the Rome in, the, in those days in Italy. The Italians seem to have great cakes and great pastries, so they, maybe they had their own kind. But he's talking to the Romans here. He says, if the first part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. What is he saying? If we set apart the first part of the batch of dough or the first part 
and we set it apart as holy and give it to God, then the other nine, the, the, what is remains, is also holy. In other words, when we give the first tenth, our tithe, when we give the first part to God, he blesses the rest. And what is blessed will multiply and go further than that which is not blessed. Remember the story of the feeding of the five thousands? What did Jesus do? He blessed the five loaves and the two small fishes. He blessed it. And what happened? It multiplied and fed 5,000 people. That's what happens when we understand this. And it's one thing to, to do something blindly. It's another thing to have knowledge, to have understanding, and to apply that with wisdom to our lives so that we have a revelation. Every week, Di and I, we give online through, through PushPay. We, have, we give recurring giving, and then we make our our commitment, our kingdom builders commitment or our, our vision commitment. Uh, and every, every week, I, I believe God that what when I give the first tenth of all that comes into my life, um, when I give that first tenth, that God is going to bless the other 90% and the other 90% is going to go further than if I had held on to it. And so we have faith that that is the, the case. And so uh, we, we, we need to understand, and when we understand that, it becomes the foundation of all that we do with our finances because we're going back to the source. Now, Michael Elman, who's here, is going to be uh, conducting a Finance Forward class uh, starting in the week of the 6th on a Thursday night. And in that class, he's going to be talking about some of the practical aspects of managing finance wisely. He's going to be giving some insight and some practical uh, advice on that. And, 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 and I want to encourage you, uh, if you want to find out uh, how to do that, then that's a great course for you to be a part of. But the starting point of everything we do is recognizing, hey, this money doesn't, this money doesn't come from the bank. This money doesn't come, the, God is the source. God is the source. And so when we recognize that, we are building our financial uh, base on a sure foundation. Now the Bible is full of examples of this uh, the firstborn, the principle of the firstborn. The firstborn belonged to God. The firstborn was to be dedicated to God. The principle of first fruits, we've talked about that, of what is set the first fruits that we bring to God. And throughout the Old Testament, basically, the first fruits was the principle that all that was first would be given to God. The first fruits of the harvest would be given to God. This is separate from the, from, the, from the tithe, but it was recognizing, it was honoring God, recognizing that, the, that God is my source and everything I have comes from Him. So if I have 10 coins, do I, uh, lined up in a row, I give the first of the 10 coins, not the last of the 10 coins. How many of you know that if you leave 
your tithe or you leave what you give to God till last, it's never there. <laughs> Just amazing how that works out. It's never there. That's why we do it first. And that's why God wants us to do it first. But also by doing it first, we are showing that we honor God. The principle of the first day. And I don't want to get into that, but this is the first day of the week. You are dead. Your being here is you are giving the first day of the week. You're honoring God on the first day. When I come to church, it's not because I'm, I'm the pastor and I'm paid to come to church. No, I come to church because I have done it even before I became a pastor because on the first day of the week, I want to honor God. And when I honor God on the first day of the week, I know he's going to bless the other six days because I'm giving the first morning of the first day to God. And then, of course, there's the principle of the first tenth. And I want to talk about this a little bit today. And, and next week, we'll talk some more about this because I want to be talking about purpose, having purpose in our finances. But the principle of the first tenth is basically what we heard in the video from J. John, that the first tenth belongs to God. And it was established by God so that we could remain in covenant relationship with him in partnership with him so that he would we would we would understand first of all that he is our source everything we have belongs to him and that by giving our tithe we can honor God and give him the place that he deserves the tithe the word tithe is a english an old english word that literally means the Tenth. So when we talk about tithes, we're talking about giving the first tenth of everything that comes into our lives to God. And you go, whoa, that's a lot of money. Well, that's why I encourage you to teach your kids to start tithing early because it sets a pattern for their life and it becomes easier. I don't even think about tithing right now it's just what i've done for 40 years and it's something that was set into motion because i early on in my years as a christian i had a revelation that if i gave the first tenth to god he would bless the other 90 percent and that 90 percent blessed would go further than the hundred percent if i held on to it so tightly that the queen began to cry 10% runs all the way through the Bible. I, I encourage you, read the Bible. Every time you see the word 10 or 10% or 10, what is it? Here it is. It's not an amount, it's a percentage. Why does God not give us a, an amount? Because we, he realizes that all of us have different capacity. But if we give 10%, we're all giving the same. So the richest person, I don't even want to mention who the richest person on the planet is. We're not talking about him right now. But whoever the richest person on the planet is, if they were to give 10%, God views it as exactly the same. If it was billions of dollars 
or if it was one dollar, your child, or using their pocket money. Because God's looking at the percentage, not equal giving, it's equal sacrifice. And I'm reading from Scott Wilson's book, God's Economic Engine, which is a great book about how tithing is God's economic engine. He says, in tithing, all God's people are equal, for all can give the same amount, that is, one-tenth. The rich do not give the poor more than the poor. Uh, sorry, the rich do not give more, the poor do not give less. Rich and poor are leveled out in the tithe, for all give the same percentage, that is, one-tenth. The Old Testament is full of passages of scriptures talking about the tithe. One of the most uh, famous of those is in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10. I'll read it now. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. What's the storehouse? Your local church. Uh, that there may be food in my house. And there, here's the interesting thing. And try me now in this. Test me. It's the only place in the Bible that God says we can test him. Says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing, there will not be room enough to receive it. I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. Nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all the nations will call you blessed. For you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. There's a whole lot of promises in there. God says he'll open the windows of heaven so there won't be room enough to contain it. He'll rebuke, he will rebuke the devourer for your sake. Um, and and, and uh, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. Uh, and all the nations will call you blessed. People will look at your life and see that you are blessed. Now, sometimes people will say, of course, not you, but some people will say, well, tithing is an Old Testament, is, is an Old Testament law. No, tithing is not an Old Testament law. Tithing is a principle that runs through the whole of the Bible from the Garden of Eden right the way through to the book of Revelation. Where do we find it in the Garden of Eden? We find it in the one tree that God says, you can eat of every tree in the garden, but this tree you can't eat from. That was the portion, the tree that belonged to God. Can we lower the music just a little? Thank you. So the... So that principle runs through the Bible. Abraham tithed before the giving of the law. Jacob tithed before the giving of the law. And Jesus talked about the tithe. This is what Jesus said. You have, uh, Jesus said, Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. They even tithed on their herbs or herbs. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. In other words, Jesus was saying, yes, you ought, to con you ought to tithe, but you also ought to practice justice and mercy and faithfulness. So Jesus endorses the tithe. And here's the other thing 
the measure of the New Testament is always greater. So if we take that argument where this is an Old Testament teaching, not a New Testament, I want to read this to you because the, the measure of grace is always greater than the measure of the law. And remember, Jesus said, you have heard it said, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go half a mile. Now that we're in the New Testament, no. Jesus said, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go two miles. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the left cheek. I was laughing with someone about how the other day about how, you know, sometimes anyone ever felt like, no, we won't get there. Um, so, um, so if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Uh, Jesus said, don't resist an evil person and love your name. And then he goes on and says, be perfect, even as your heavenly father is perfect. So the measure of the New Testament is always greater. So if we're going by that, from that perspective, then the New Testament, the measure of the New Testament is greater. But that consistency that runs right throughout scripture of that percentage means that we're giving the first portion to the one who has the power to bless our finances. When we give our tithe, we are going to experience God's blessing. Some people say, well, I'm going to wait until I have enough to tithe. Well, this is what Robert Kiyosaki, the author of, uh, of the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad, said. You know, some people say, I can't afford to tithe. I'm going to wait till I have enough, and then I'm going to be able to tithe. He said, that argument reminds me of the guy sitting with firewood in his arms on a cold, freezing night, yelling at a potbelly stove. When you give me some heat, then I'll put some wood in. No, we put the wood in first, and then we receive the heat. No, we tithe from where we are at. And wherever we're at, wherever that may be, God promises that he will honor his word. I firmly believe that when it comes to our finances, we need, we require faith. Peter had to step out. Peter had to launch out into the deep. Peter had to do what was uncomfortable. He had to take a step of faith. But the miraculous followed. And tithing is, for many people, a big step of faith. Um, Michael Elman, who heads up our generosity with uh, uh, ministry with, with Polly Elman, came to Christ in his 50s. And he basically began to make decisions and began to make choices about putting God first and about tithing. And uh, he he made a decision to begin to tithe. Well, tithe, beginning to tithe as a 50-year-old, a successful business person at the age of 50, is very different to my daughter, who, my youngest daughter, with the allowance that I give her and encourage her to give one-tenth of that as a tithe so that I can establish the pattern of tithing. And so it is a big step. It's a step of faith. But when we take that step of faith, God promises that he will honor his word 
and he will open the windows of heaven. And I believe that when it comes to our finances, it's not just faith. We also have to have wisdom. It's not enough. Some people say, well, if you tithe, then all your bills will get paid. No, it's not a quick fix. But it is a principle that is a foundational principle. And if we begin there in the realm of faith and honor God, then God says, I will honor you and I will open the windows of heaven. And then we need to have wisdom in how we manage our finances. How many of you know that our credit cards are not our best friend? How many of you know that if your outgoings exceed your incomings, your upkeep becomes your downfall? We have to be wise. We can't spend more money than we earn and then tithe and expect that God's going to bless and pay off our credit cards. It's not going to happen. We have to be wise. But if we begin, we begin with honoring God first, not last, and then work with wisdom with the 90% that's left, God we are going to see our finances grow and we can experience a peace that we are doing things God's way, not our way. We are taking God's roadmap and we're following that roadmap. And I want to encourage you, wherever you're at in your walk with God, make a decision. I'm going to do what Peter did. Even though my natural reasoning... My logic is telling me this is, this is crazy. This is not going to work out. He said, nevertheless, at your word. Can we be the kind of people that even when we, we face a, something that we read in the scriptures or something that God challenges us with and we think, I don't know how that's going to work, that we can say, nevertheless, nevertheless, I don't understand this. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know, but I trust you, God. And nevertheless, at your word, I'm going to do what you say in your word. I want to encourage everyone on your seat. There's one of these cards. And could you take that for one moment just to look at it? And if you pick this card up, this card says, give God 90 days. And basically what this card is saying is tithing is a trust. It's, 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 it's a point of trust. Am I trusting God? Am I trusting his word? And as I said earlier, in the Bible, it, Malachi 3, which talks about bringing the tithe into the storehouse, is the only place where God says, test me now in this. Try me in this. He challenges us. Try my word and see if it's true. And in this card, on this card, I want to encourage you to take it, stick it in your Bible, um, take it with you and have a look at it and read it and pray about it and ask God, God, I, if you're not tithing, God, I want to start to take that step. I want to make that decision. Pray about it and say to God, I'm... I'm going to give 90 days. I'm going to test you for 90 days, three months, and see what God will do. And I know that you won't regret that.
Because when you take that step, God promises that you'll know his peace and you'll know his provision and you'll know his supernatural multiplication. One of the ways that you can give and a lot of people give by recurring giving is to go onto our push pay and you can give through recurring giving. Um, I do that. Di and I do that. It, our giving is recurring. It comes out every, every, every week. And uh, we do that. That's the way we choose to give. Other people, don't li other people like to, to do it on a weekly basis, but recurring giving is a great way for you to give. How many of you have subscriptions? I'm going to ask that question again. How many of you have subscriptions? How many of you have subscriptions that you didn't know that you had? Do you know that I was paying Netflix twice for years through Apple and through directly to Netflix until I discovered it? There's an app you can get which finds out all the subscriptions that you have that you've forgotten about that you're still paying. Well, I can, one of the ways that you can give we're all used to that now. One of the ways that you can give is through recurring giving. And recurring giving actually helps us as a, as a church because it enables us to budget and it enables us to plan ahead. And it also helps you to set into motion a, a pattern of giving that is going to bring great blessing to your life. Let the, let's get the worship team come right now. Um, and we're going to take a moment. Would you stand with me? Um, I know that this morning... I've covered a subject that could be challenging, uh, but I, 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 I really believe that tithing is not about, and this is, a, this is something I had to come to terms with, coming from an unchurched background, never heard of tithing, what it was. Tithing is not about the church, whether it's any other church on the planet. Let's not talk about Newport Church. Let's talk about any other church on the planet. Anyone talking about tithing, tithing is not about how the church can get your money, which is what a lot of people think. No, it's about how you can tap into God's blessing. It's how you can tap into the resource of heaven and see the windows of heaven open. And I share this word with you today, not for uh, any other reason that my prayer Guy's prayer, our prayer is that you would know the rich blessing of God so that we're not just living by the sweat of our brow, and, but we're living from the dew of heaven. We're living with supernatural provision so that that which when we honor God, he's opening the windows of heaven, he's blessing us, he's multiplying. How can we do it? We just trust God. Yep. And I want to encourage you, take that card, pray about it, think about it. If you're watching online, and let's believe God. I want to pray for you. Father God, I thank you that everything we have comes from you. And today, Lord, we want to honor you. We see that you are our source. You're our Father, but you also want to partner with us. And as we partner with you, help us to follow your way. Help us to walk in your paths of righteousness. Help us to walk in a way that you outline in your words so that we will not only honor you, and put you first where you rightly belong. But we will experience the supernatural provision and blessing of God in our lives. We thank you for that. 
And I pray for your blessing on each and every person. Help us all to be like Peter, who say, nevertheless, at your word, launch out into the deep and receive a supernatural, miraculous catch. In Jesus' mighty name.